The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. When people find out that I write horror, I often receive strange looks. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume that you're a fan of the genre and that you've probably had similar experiences. There's a certain taboo surrounding horror, and those who aren't fans tend to think that the only people that enjoy being scared are sick, twisted, or demented. Yet when it comes to the friends I've made within the horror community, this could not be farther from the truth. As dichotomous as it may seem, many of us find joy from reading, writing, and watching what the horror genre has to offer. For me, there are a lot of great memories and nostalgia tied up in all of this. And beyond that, as my friend and fellow horror podcaster Neil McRobert likes to say, it's good to be scared. But I don't want to simply sit here and pontificate on my own. So I brought someone along to help guide us on this journey. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, I'll be interviewing my spooky friend and fellow horror author, Jamie Stewart. As the discussion carries on, I think it'll become quite clear that horror is about more than just fear, dread, and worry. There's plenty of room for laughter, nostalgia, and yes, even joy. Welcome, Jamie. How are you doing? You're coming from, is it... Is it right for me to say across the pond? Yes, that is. Okay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course, yeah, man. Northern I'm... Ireland. All right, all right. Northern Ireland. You know, my mm-hmm. my wife wanted me to tell you hello as well. As I've mentioned before, she's a big fan of Ireland, and she's been before, and she really wants me to go. So, um, you know, I, oh, yeah. I know you've mentioned in the past that we've got somewhere to stay if we go there, right? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. awesome. <laughs> I, I need to take you up on that offer. I will make that a bucket list item. <laughs> well, you, you, can, you can do that right now. I cannot do that due to the current situation of flights and international travel. So, yes, you can come and do whatever you want and, you know, rule the world. And I can't go outside of my wee tiny country. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, I, I mean, you know, we were, we were saying this at the same time last year, but hopefully this won't be lasting too much longer. <laughs> fingers crossed oh yes we we live in a horror story why would we want to read it and write it and watch it (laughs) well well, that is the interesting thing about horror stories you're you're saying that right there and then and you were talking about why we read them and it's an interesting thing the world is going through a pandemic but seals of the stand and every pandemic novel that have ever been written have increased that's an interesting kind of figure you would think we would be shying away from this genre but in fact we're not we're delving further and further into it in fact whether they call this the golden age of horror don't we at this moment in time yeah and you know i i mentioned it in 
episode two with Haley, uh, you know, they they came out with this study that was showing that horror fans tend to overall be dealing with the pandemic better than non-horror fans and one of the reasons is you know sort of we're we're used to this stuff we we've been preparing for this stuff in our minds for years and years and years yeah it's that old joke of the you know the the gamer who plays endless amount of zombie games is just waiting for the apocalypse and the moment it happens it goes i've trained for this it's that kind of joke well let's just let's move into the theme a little bit you know we're talking mm-hmm. about the joy in horror and um i want to ask you what what was your introduction to horror and do you think that it played a role in the happiness the genre brings you now absolutely it does my introduction to horror was through my best friend um keith Eggerty. give him a shout out he's my oldest friend um his it was very unusual. He got a video game, and which was unusual that his parents allowed him this video game because I would say they'd be quite strict parents. But I also think they didn't know what this video game entailed. And it was Resident Evil Nemesis. And this whole idea, I think for a kid who had grown up in Goosebumps books and who fairly liked them, but wasn't completely besotted with them, all those books were very insular in their stories. It was set number of children and isolated, always isolated set and they were isolated from their adults. They were either by because the adults didn't believe anything they're saying or because of the situation itself or the setting. But the video game Resident Evil Nemesis is a zombie game, if you don't know, in a city. And it's the first probably of its kind. So it's a massive expanse in terms of the setting itself. And you're suddenly found your your imagination is allowed to go completely free uh, with the idea of oh you know you could have this action sequence at this gas station and you could have this so my first experience of horror was that of was of zombies chasing me down the streets it was their moans their the sounds of their squashy feet you know I still remember those sounds oddly enough like the the sounds of the game in my head they come to me and yes it was terrifying it was absolutely terrifying to play the game by yourself so it was I couldn't do it so I only ever played it with him in the room um but it was that sense, it, again, it was a sense of camaraderie that brought on because there'd be a moment where I would get so terrified, the controller would literally leap out of my hands and he would grab onto it and take over because, say, a zombie came out of the corridor at last second and was <laughs> going to kill me. And, I, you know, because so, I was so terrified. And it was that. And then, you know, he would take over and then, you know, this game would settle down and you would sort of remark to another, you know, we survived that, even though you we were sitting in your bedroom in Northern Ireland <laughs> completely safe. Um, so it was that sort of first kind of initial kind of there is fear here, but it's a it's a it's a a mimic of what r- the reality or a real fear could be, but it's safe and it's controlled and you can experience it. And as a kid who is growing up and perhaps is not is being is experiencing maybe feeling outcast and feeling you know um, shunned a little bit and maybe even experiencing bullying. Um, for a kid like that, it was it was a, a joy to experience that emotion and not and not feel um not it wasn't personal the fear you would feel in the schoolyard or you know walking down the street. So it was so uh, certainly there's a great joy in it, and it's that initial joy that catches you. It's like a latch. So it is, and I do think we are predisposed to what we like, you know. 
and I think I was always supposed to like horror and uh yeah yeah I I like what you're saying too about the camaraderie part because you know my my experience is similar in terms mm -hmm. of you know growing up and the scary books that that I read you know they were like scary stories to tell in the dark scary stories for sleepovers I mean you're that's when you're you get with your friends and maybe you're having a sleepover or a camp out or a get together of some sort and you're trying to scare each other so you're you're in it together like you said playing the video games or even watching horror movies you know I mean I will watch horror movies by myself but mm -hmm. I like them so much more if I can watch them with somebody else yes and yes. one, one of the, one of the highlights of my my experience and experience in horror in my life was I took my father to see it chapter one and mm -hmm. I didn't realize my dad didn't go see horror films now my dad is um as we we describe him here as um uh, an anorak which is a, an old name for a nerd uh so is so he would have this in-depth knowledge about movies and music and not just like music he would be like the bass player in that album is that person and they played also on this bob dylan you know that's how you know um anyway so but he never went to horror movies and i never noticed that so i didn't realize when i was taken to see stephen king's it chapter the chapter one one um of that when we were in the cinema but i think because he, he knew that i was such a big fan he wanted to experience the movie with me and there's a scene in that film i'm going to spoil uh where they have the um the flicking um uh what is it they do the uh the projector and it speeds yep. up and it speeds up and then it goes dark and then it appears and my dad's maybe six foot two something he stood up in the middle of a packed cinema and screamed holy shit at the at the screen <laughs> full, you know everyone is there and everyone is laughing at him at that and that is just that is just bliss and that's like you know these people you know people that don't like oh, it's too scary for me but in that scary moment there was such happiness and joy because my dad had this reaction and we all and we were all reacting the same way but he had this visceral reaction because he had not yet you know experienced as much as i had uh and that that's one of my favorite moments of my life <laughs> wow yeah i can i can relate to a bit because you know the one of the memories that i have one of the moments that i thought about was um probably about 4 years ago you know, my mom is the same way as as you're you're describing your dad. Like, does not watch horror movies. You know, doesn't like scary stuff. Easily scared, even. Um, but she was in town and she was visiting, and her and my stepdad were were staying with me. And I don't even remember. I think my stepdad went to bed early that night. And um, this was back before I used to go to bed early like I do now because I'm an old man. Uh, really, the, I just I like to get up early in the morning and read. Um, but back then, you know, I'd stay up until 1, 2 a.m. And she's the same way. So I was like, hey, do you want to watch a movie with me? And she was like, sure. And so we watched Get Out. And as I was, you know, I'm very desensitized when it comes to horror. And while I was watching it, I, you know, scenes kept happening and I was just like, oh, wow, I can't believe I got my mom to watch this with me. But then when it was over, she enjoyed it. 
Like she oh, yeah. really liked it. And she picked mm -hmm. up on some of the themes and some of the messages and, and whatnot. And so she ended up enjoying it. And then a couple of years later at a family gathering um, with like my entire family, we watched um, Don't Breathe. Um, and so like now that I am writing horror and, and whatnot, you know, my mom is, um, you know, some of that taboo that was associated with it is, isn't there anymore. And she's a little more interested. And so, yeah, that, that's cool that, um, you got to experience a similar thing with, with your dad. Let me, let me ask you this too, while we're on the topic, um, has your dad read any of your writing? Uh, yes, yes, he has. Yes. <laughs> what, uh, what were his thoughts? <laughs> uh, it's a touchy subject, to be honest with you. Um, in that, there was a long time where he said to me, the thing he said to me stuck in my head, and it was, I can't read your writing because all I do is see the mistakes. Because mm. I don't know what that was referring to, as in mistakes with typos or things like that. No. He read or listened to the beach house which is an audio story i have yeah. and it's free on youtube uh through horror oasis and he listened to that rather than read it and he was he was uh, he was really impressed with that he was kind of a, there was a sort of taken back kind of expression on his face uh and sort of a, a, a contemplative kind of rethinking i think was going on in his head of this thing because well this thing is i've been writing since i was nine years old and so my father has seen me as a nine-year-old with you know crappy wee notepads that are falling apart full of sprawling you know stories and stuff like that so he's gone from that to in a in a in an environment and a culture that's not really uh built for people to have anything creative to follow uh in northern ireland I, um see his son being like this is what I want to do this is like this is not just a hobby this is a passion this is this is what I think about when I wake up this is what I think about when I go to bed uh, and this is my drive in life is to write stories and just to to, to the love of writing them and uh, I think that's very hard for any person here to sort of any parent sort of con uh, to tackle so it is um, and yeah so he has read them um the first few he laughed at and i do not uh, blame him for laughing at them because <laughs> they were awful um and i had an awful habit of putting my friends names in my books and you know in books that you were reading you know you had all those descriptions of your characters and suddenly my best friend's names were being described as these hunky amazing you know people and he's just sort of laughing to himself thinking that is not what that 12 year old looks like at all. And um, so, um, so, you know, I don't blame him for laughing at them back then, but I think he's come around to, to uh, the fact that the, the, this is, you know, he said to me the other day, actually, he said to me, you're going to make it. You're mm -hmm. going to, you're going to do this. You're, you're going to just, uh, I was telling them about ideas I was having for stuff and the stuff I'm working on. And he just sort of, he just said, he just sort of couldn't believe it. But at the same time, he was just telling me, just this is going to happen for you. So, wow, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And I, my my wish for you is that one day your dad will read one of your books and he will jump up off of the couch or wherever he's reading and just yell, "Oh shit!" <laughs> because it's so scary. That's what I'm working for. That's what I'm working <laughs> for. So yeah, that's you why. Know, 
I, I get it. Like I relate to so much of what you were just sharing. Um, because like with my dad, it was sort of the same thing when I started talking to him about my writing and I'd show him some stuff and whatnot and just, you know, cover images and, and whatnot. I could tell that in his mind, like he, he was happy for me that I was having fun. Um, but it was sort of in his mind, like, eh, this is just a phase. Eh, this is just a hobby. Um, yeah. but when I got to, uh, you know, give him a copy, a physical paperback copy of my debut novel and inscribe mm -hmm. it, you know, and sit there with him while he was reading that. Like, it was like, it brought me so much joy. And yeah. I could tell in that moment, it started to sink in for him. And he realized, yeah. okay, this isn't just, you know, yeah, like you said, scribbling on a little notepad. Cause I, I did the same thing. You know, I was writing stuff when I was in third grade. And there's nothing wrong with scribbling on a notepad. I am currently scribbling on notepads. And it is the best, most joyous form of this process because it's it's what it is at its core. It's what that's how we began, and that's what we fell in love with through that method. Mm -hmm. And there is it's the it, writing pen to paper. You have no edit button. You have no ability to go back and redo yourself. So it doesn't matter. It can be messy. It can be scored outlines. It does not matter. So there's nothing wrong with writing pen on notepad. But I think I think like. The thing is, um, my parents um, allowed me to go and uh, to study piano uh, for about eight years. But the thing about me studying the piano was I only practiced when I was told to practice. With writing from, I wrote my first novel at 12 and I set myself a writing schedule at 12 years old. Wow. So for three hours a night, every night of the week, I was in front of the computer writing. And I did it because I loved it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the difference you have to look out for in people that have, you know, there's hobbies and there's, there's things that people are driven to do. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't do it, you'll go crazy. Yeah. Well, it's a way of sorting out your head. It's very cathartic, yes. obviously, the writing process. And as the older I get, the more I've learned that the stories that I want to tell are stories that have grains of truth in them. Mm -hmm. And... um and I find myself very connected to them. So I find a lot of the stuff that has been coming out now for myself and a lot of stuff that I've been focusing on. And sometimes I'm not even aware of it until I've finished it. And then I read it back to myself and go, oh, that's from that section of my life, even though it contains a vampire. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just finished a writing a short story yesterday. And in that short story, like I was processing the death of my aunt, the death of my grandfather. Um, and I didn't go into the story wanting to do that or desiring to do that, or even thinking I needed to do that. I thought yeah. I had, um, and it really, it, it helped me. Like you said, it, it's cathartic and writing. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good for me, especially because I've mentioned before, I can't write in a journal. Like, I, I mean, I can, I can force myself to, but I never stick with it. And it's always just like pulling teeth, but yeah a lot of my fiction writing is really like me writing in a journal. I'm yes. just allowing other people to read it. <laughs> I, I've actually listened to the podcast you were talking about where you said that. And I, I, was, I was in the car and I was driving and I thought I tried that once. I tried journaling once, but my problem was on the first time I did it, I started making up stuff because my life was too boring for myself to even enjoy the journal of what it was. So I'd make up my, it was maybe when I was a teenager and I'd be like, Jimmy Stewart went to the swimming pool today. I had not been to the swimming pool, but I was making <laughs> this up because my life, you know, 
let's make this a bit more interesting. So fiction naturally comes into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's how it is, man. Like, I mean, we're a lot of what we're writing, we're writting what we know, but we're adding a, a, a little flourish to it, <laughs> a little extra. Okay. You were talking, you know, you wanted to talk about the joy of writing and the fact that we are considered people that like horror and like the horror genre are considered demented and all this stuff. And uh, and that's true. Even today, I was, you know, somebody asked me how's the writing going, and and uh, I explained what I was doing, and uh, their reaction was, "There's something wrong with you because of the story." That was their exact words. There's something wrong with you. Mm. And they meant it jokingly, but you know that because the work now that person, that same person, has actually read something I've written and is completely was completely enthralled with it. And she says, "I don't read this stuff, but I like, you know, but I like it. Not that necessarily because I wrote it, but because." connected with them in a certain level and I think actually that's what you know where, where if you're not a horror fan but you and you struggle to understand why horror people like horror the genre find joy in scary things it's that it's because for us um I think it's interesting that everyone who everyone in the horror genre anyone who's ever read it will say they're part of the losers club because they identify with the fact that the losers are persecuted for their differences yep. and I think every horror fan can can empathize with that and a lot of the horror fiction characters are those people on the fringes those people on the outsides of society are considered outside the social norms and we get to interact with them and we get to empathize with them because we as readers feel that way I certainly did when I started reading horror fiction as a teenager I identified with the characters that I was reading in Stephen King's books even though they were written in the 70s and I was going I was being raised in the noughties but I completely empathized with those characters and you know what Mark Petrie was going through in Salem's Lot or what Ben Hansman was going through in it uh, and I think that's why there is joy in horror. You know, it's not just about the spooky things and the the frights and the and the scares. Um, because to be honest with you, horror fiction doesn't scare me. I've read thousands of horror books. There's only a few of them I can mark out that are actually frightening for me. But I love them, and I love them because I I love being able to put myself in the heads of people that I've never have encountered or never would encounter but also find people in them that are like myself or like someone i know mm. and i think that's where the joy of horror comes from because we yeah. find connection in it yeah i mean it's it's about empathy right you know you want to be able to empathize with a character and to your point where you were talking about you know this this friend who read your work it's like you know there's something wrong with you you know that that response it does it, it comes up you know, my mm -hmm. wife and I were just out of town on vacation. And mm -hmm. while we were there, we went to this, we found this little speakeasy place. And we went there a couple of times. And the first night that we were there, the waiter, you know, he asked, you know, hey, what, you know, what do you guys do? And my wife, you know, she spoke up and said what she did. And then uh, she just blurted out and she's like, oh, and he's an author. <laughs> and the guy was like, oh, okay, what do you write? And I told him, you know, I write, I write horror and his eyes kind of got big and he was like i want to talk to you i want to uh, pick your head he was like because you seem really normal you don't seem like someone who would write horror yeah. <laughs> and oh. you know my my wife was was joking she was like we just got back from this this cat cafe and you know he was just playing with cats for a whole hour like you know he's a, he's gentle and calm and you know normal and uh but you know once again it's just 
people that aren't fans or people that don't know about horror, that's just what they think about is like, uh, you got to be sick or twisted to like that stuff. And, and, you know, and from the outside looking in, I get it. I get it. But once you get into it, and like you said, you get into the story, you get into the characters and you can empathize and you realize what's happening beneath the surface. um, It's, it's a tremendous way to tell a story. I think that I think genre fiction as a whole is actually better at characterization than mainstream fiction. Yeah. I think there's more depth in it. Um, and I think when people are outside of the genre, say they see blood and guts, I'm not in it for the blood and guts. I couldn't care less if blood and guts are in any story I read or not. I'm in it for the depth of character. I'm in it for, I want to go on a journey with this person. And as a, as if you're creating a character, I want you to make that character be worthy of me to be inside, be interesting enough to be inside the head of, you know, be multifaceted. Yeah. Um, and if, if, yeah. if we don't know the character or empathize with them or care about them, then when the blood and guts come, we don't care. It's nothing. No. But when you no. love that character, when you understand that character, when you feel what that character is feeling and then bad things start to happen. Oh, you're, 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 you're in from. it, man. You can't, you yeah. can't put the book down. It doesn't matter no. that it's 3 AM and you got to get up in four hours to go to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so we're we're talking about joy and horror. Let me make a little bit of a transition. Ask this question. You know, I oftentimes you hear these two words put together, um, especially maybe parents might talk about their kids and and they refer to their son or their daughter and say, "Oh, they're my pride and joy." Um, so let me ask you this. This question came from Instagram. Uh, which of your published stories are you most proud of? What, what, what published story do you have out there that you say is your number one pride and joy? At the moment in time, my number one pride and joy is it's probably The Woman Under the White Tree um, because it's a sneaky story, because it's not one story. It's four stories in one it is a Russian doll of a story. And I like the fact that I was brainy enough to think up with that. <laughs> I love so, that story. I, you know, I haven't read all your work, but I have read that one. And I, you know, I made a gloom review on it, posted it on, on Instagram and on Goodreads. And I mean, it, yeah, it really, it hit me. And like you said, it was sneaky. You know, I went into that story expecting one thing and then it kept unraveling. And then this opened up and that opened up. And yeah, no, you did. You did a great job with it. Well, thank you very much. That's great. And it's great hearing that from you, you know. Uh, it's great. Thank you very much for the review. Um, for, um, greatly appreciate it. Appreciate it all, you know. Um, of course. And and I'm going to read a little bit from that story uh, a little bit later in this interview because there, there are some lines that I, I, I need to share publicly. <laughs> well, that story is... Um, well, that story came about for a conversation I was having with people in work that it was actually based on true events. Wow. Uh, that there is a road in Northern Ireland and that it was deemed to be haunted, um, which is the sort of premise of the woman under the white tree. And there was Catholic priests did walk down that road performing exorcism for the entire length of it. And after they performed their ritual, all the stuff that was happening on it, high fatality rates, strange occurrences stopped. Wow. So I just love that idea of two priests outside. And it wasn't the fact that they were priests or anything like that. I have no link to Catholicism or any sort of religious organization. But I just like the idea of, because they're in uniform to a certain degree, and it's almost like a military style, you know, stiff 
you know, forms never increases in those priest collars. And I just saw an elderly statesman and a young newbie and they're doing this ritual and the young guy can't really understand and thinks it's kind of a joke um, it, that's being played on him. And uh, that's just it, Spark. And I had none of the other three stories that are that come throughout the process, but I just sat down and I had an absolute blast read, writing it, loved it. And they, that just came out. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, it shows, you know, I've, I've heard that a lot of times before from, um, from other authors, more, you know, more seasoned and wise authors that they say, you know, if you love what you're writing, if you enjoy that piece that you're writing, then your readers are going to pick up on that and they're going to enjoy it too. So, you yeah. know, clearly I, I, you know, you were having fun with that story and, and it, it, it transferred to me when I read it, I had a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank, thank you for writing it. <laughs> um, okay, so let me ask you one more question that came in from a bookstagrammer, and it's this. We watch or read horror to experience thrilling escapes that pull us away from reality for a couple hours. What types of thrills do you chase in your writing? We talked about grains of truth being in storytelling, and I find that there was I my I've my I have a collection of stories that's coming out in November, and there's several people that have uh, ACR copies, advanced reader copies, and one of those people got back to me today with what their thoughts were on it, and he had an interesting thing about it that I never really thought about before was that his opinion was that. I seem to focus on and be very good at telling, telling stories about people on the edge of society. The overlooked people was actually, I think, his words. And that really struck me because I think, well, you talking about the, the experience you had with the waiter saying that, you know, you're a writer and he was interested. I have not had that experience, uh, um, you know, around me. I've only ha ever had that experience through the online community. I've never had somebody that was interested so, and when you're doing this thing from a young age, when you're writing from a young age and you grow up in a country where guys play football and girls play with dolls and that's it, that's, that's the white and black of it. There is no outside of that. And if outside of that, uh, you're wrong, you're different, you're, there's something wrong with you. Um, it's a, it's a, you, you become one of those people. And I think the stories that I tell are about those people because either the put down people, the people that are put down and much people are bullied, the people that maybe have experienced abuse in their lives. I think that's because um, I empathize with them the most. I, I have this thing I always say, I just hate bullies. So I'm, you know, I just, I hate, I just hate bullies. So um, I'm completely defending, always going to defend the underdog. And, uh, and that's kind of what I look for in my stories. And I find it without even writing that there was a current story that I've written, uh, which I've sent to you. Um, I don't know if you've read it yet. Um, it's not published, but I'm really proud of it. But I'm 31 years old and I still haven't got over the fact of what I experienced in my high school. And that story, which is called Mr. Nostalgia Becomes Mr. Hollywood, deals with the fact of that I experienced when I was in high school, at least in my opinion, was that the friends I had in high school ghosted me when high school ended. And uh, they went off into the world and still remain friends, but I was not seen to be, I don't know, interesting enough to keep within their friendship group. And uh, those couple of years after uh, 
secondary schools we call it here as high school we would call it in america where i struggled because i lost a massive social network as anyone does when they leave school and 31 years old now and i thought i had overcome that but clearly this story just burst out of me one day mm. and uh and it's a story about a serial killer who it's a, it's it's a it's a flip on the trope of uh, all those Hollywood films about the guy who was a nerd who leaves a small town, becomes rich and famous, and then comes back to visit again, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, he's actually got worth now." Uh, but instead, when he does come back, he always he's coming back to a funeral, and it's a funeral of an old friend that is part of this group that ghosted him, and uh, he's actually the one that's been killing them off in secret. He's he's become a serial killer but he is only focused on those old friends. friends, And that was my cathartic way of <laughs> writing about that experience because I don't see those people anymore. And I'm, I'm not bitter about anything. And, and I wish them the best of luck and everything what they do and what they do with their life. And fair play to them. They absolutely deserve whatever happiness they get. Um, but um, it was my way of... I can't communicate to them that I felt this way. I think too much time has passed, but I can write about it. And maybe other people who will have feel, felt that experience. I know my wife has with, you know, people um, in her life and, you know, and, and everyone has with people in their life. You know, we've had those people that have drifted out. Yeah. And that's what it's about. And yeah. that's, that's what I'm interested in. I, I resonate with that too, you know, and I hate bullies. And a big part of my novel, Voodoo Child, was me getting the opportunity in my fiction to see all these bullies get their comeuppance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it is, it's cathartic too, you know, because it's, it's cathartic, it's, uh, but it's for the reader, it's something they can connect to because, we, well, here's the thing. We don't have Hollywood dialogue guiding us day to day and we don't have action men figures and the ability to do, you know, stuff that Tom Cruise and Jackie Chan can do. So and when it comes to those conflict and moments, we mostly go, uh, and yeah. don't really have a response when somebody puts us down that sounds as crisp and cool as in that fictional world. And that's another way that our genre and fiction provide that kind of um, kind of joy because we can see, you know, the perfect response and the, per you know, to, you know, someone being bullied or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's not like in real life where it's, you know, two hours go by and it's like, oh, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I yes. do that? Yes. But in our writing, even if we wrote it and we <laughs> want to change it, we can go back and edit it, right? <laughs> yeah. But normally the thing is we've been thinking about those lines for about 20 years and then yep. finally have the story to put it in and it's just perfect. So that's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then we can let it go. Yeah. Right? You know, and th there's, there's joy Therapeutic. in Mm-hmm. Okay, so speaking of joy, once again, I mean, you know, <laughs> this is the, I'm yeah. I'm really thinking I'm really yeah. sticking with the theme. When today. we came up with this topic, or when I had said to this topic, I must admit I didn't really know what we were going to talk about, but I just felt that everyone was picking these very serious topic points that I thought, well, let's have some levity, you there know. We go. <laughs> no, you I know? love it. I love it. Um, but that's why we started reading in the first place because it was fun yeah yeah you know learning about big themes and all that stuff and learning about how other people's lives and you know how it can affect our lives and improve our stuff that's secondary we got into this because we love for the love of the thing yes yeah okay so speaking of that joy speaking of that love you recently mm -hmm. edited an anthology with kelly brocklehurst for uh blood rights horror 
Yes. And you, you've been completely unable to hide your excitement about the whole thing. Um, so I, I want to pick your brain and, and, and I'm sure that our listeners would probably be interested in this too, but um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can share a bit about the process of putting together and then releasing an anthology like Welcome to the Fun House. It was, how it came about was kind of like, is this really happening? Um, I've never thought, I never thought of myself as being an editor, um, particularly not because I'm terribly bad at story correction or anything like that. Um, in fact, second drafts and editing is one of the things I actually really love about writing. But um, typos and grammar and punctuation are not my strong point. And I was always sort of like, you know, that's my weak point. Everyone knows their weak point, whatever they come to, and that's mine. And um, when Nick offered me and Kelly the opportunity to do this, I was sort of like really apprehensive and nervous because of like, maybe this book should come with a trigger warning to say one of the editors is an idiot. And I think <laughs> if you read the forward that I wrote, which is again done for levity's sake, because Kelly's forward is so beautiful and sincere and she wrote hers first and, and presented it to me and I was like oh my god she's like tugging on my heartstrings and I was involved in the project how can I follow this there's no there's I almost sent uh, Nick an email to say there's no point in me doing a forward because Kelly's basically you know rocked it so I wrote a funny one um because yeah so it should yeah but uh, it was an absolute fantastic experience uh, I loved it I would happily do it again especially with Kelly um, she's uh, she's a fantastic person and so is Nick um, it came about actually completely randomly um, so it was uh, we were talking on a, a group chat that we we're all part of and um, we were discussing you know we we were thinking about horror in summer like what can you do for a summer themed anthology you know you can't just be summer and you know the all, the thing that was you know first that everyone said is camp horror you know rvs you know friday 13th sort of inspired horror and things like that and that works but i was sort of like i had come off working writing a novel I, i've written an entire novel set around a car, carnival and it's kind of the novel's kind of a mix of something wicked this way comes and stephen king's salem lot and it just kind of meshes them together so I'd written this 400 page novel and I was just like carnivals carnivals are you know a, a perfect theme for the summer um so they are and Kelly oddly enough had that idea at the same time and um but we were just throwing out ideas we weren't saying we were going to do this thing and I think Nick was actually not really he was sort of like mm, would that work and I was saying well look I have a story that I've wanted to write for years which is the story that is in the collection called No Strings. And um, I know that I, you know, I could do, I could write that if you're looking again, not saying I want to lead this project. And Kelly was the same. She says, I have a story, uh, which I think became Dance With Us. And um, and that's how it started. And other people were echoing. I think Spencer, uh, Spencer Hamilton, um, he was, you know, he had he was working on carnival stuff as well. He has his uh, Welcome to Smiley Man Land novella out, which is a fantastic novella. You should go check it out if you if you haven't read it, it's fantastic. And obviously check out the short story he has with us because it's, uh, I think actually that short story alone is the best thing Spencer's ever written. I think that short story in Welcome to the Fun House, Spencer is Stephen King in terms wow. of the writing, the way that he constructs his, his story and the way he delivers it. It feels to me like something out of skeleton crew or a night shift that's why we picked it uh, and it's uh, there's such a finality to that story that he uh, that he wrote um uh, can't, uh, 
I can't remember the title of it because it's quite long. I'm bad with titles. Um, but um, well, as Spencer it, is listening to this podcast, you're probably shouting right now. Like, <laughs> is your face hurting, Spencer? Is your face hurting because you're smiling so big? Like, yeah. <laughs> you deserve it, man. You're an, you're an awesome writer. Yeah. You but stop, there is stop there, being so hard on yourself. Yeah, that story when that came into us. I think me and Kelly said at the same time, that's the last one. That's got to be the end one. Because the mm-hmm. way we were working on the project, I looked at it like making an album. I'm a big I'm a big music fan, and I love the idea of like, how do, say, for example, your favorite album in the world? I don't know. What's your favorite album in the world? Oh, me? Uh, yeah. That's a tough one. Pro- I mean, I know this is basic, but I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. And Dark Side of the Moon is the album for me. But a close second is David Gilmore's solo album, On an Island. Right. Dark Side of the Moon. Have you ever not thought to yourself, how did they decide on that track list? Mm, yeah, yeah. Because it's that, perfect. The flow is perfect. The flow is perfect. You've got to think of the flow. And these things, you know, I think some people, may, we take them for granted. You know, I just assume that that, like, Let It Bleed, Let it bleed by Rolling Stones, that just plays. That's always existed as it existed. But there was a time when that band were putting those songs together that they had to work that out. And I approached the collection with that idea in mind that I want stories that gel together and there was a flow and they weren't all the same they were very different so there was ebbs and flows and at the time that we were coming up with a project I was listening to a lot of vinyl uh, and vinyl is very different because it's you've side a and side b so like if you listen to born to run by bruce springsteen the first side is its own wee album it's four songs but it has its own storytelling method and then side b gain four songs it's, you know, so I wanted to do something like that. Um, so, and, and I think very much we achieved it. Um, so we did with what we had. Um, there's some fantastic stories in it. I'm proud of them all. Um, I'm actually proud of every, that's the thing. I've been really finding um, a lot of joy, um, theme of the episode, with um, promoting other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and getting other people's stuff out there that wouldn't necessarily have been out there. Like Dave Misson, who is, um, he's a friend. Um, but it was his first published short story and we didn't publish it because he's a friend of ours at all. But, and Kelly actually has, he does a daily uh, writing challenge where he writes something like 500 words or a thousand words a day. And he's been wow. doing that for, I don't think close to a year. Um, but if people don't know as well, Dave used to host um, Stephen King quizzes every Sunday uh, on Instagram and they were such fun. And that's how I met Kelly and I met Dave um, was through those things. Uh, and I originally Kelly just to win every week and you know but no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was a nice friendly conversation uh, com- uh, competitiveness of doing that at the beginning of our friendship but so Dave's yeah finding out that Dave's first story that he's ever published has come through us or finding out that Christopher Robertson um his story Candy Apple Smiles um he was he I think he was talking about with me about the fact that he was not really certain he was getting anywhere with his writing and that he wasn't really he was, he was tempted to maybe give up um maybe paraphrasing paraphrasing what he was saying but that's the gist I got from when he was talking to me and that and I I love that story that he wrote Candy Apple Smiles it's the second one in the in the collection and it when it came into us I just I just I was even I wasn't even finished with it and I was like this is in this is just awesome you know this is it Christopher Robertson is one of those writers that takes you back when you read his work, it takes you back to why you like writing and reading because you want to read and write stories like him. I want to write a Candy Apple Smiles-like story because it's so good. 
and the language is so rich and mm. and fun and reminds me of a very dark kind of Ray Bradbury. Wow. Um, no, I loved I, lo- I loved every second working on that collection. It was very difficult as well. You know, we had to we got a lot of stories and they were fantastic stories and we had to refuse them. And uh, and it, and it taught me so much because I posted recently about rejection about you know a lot of people are getting acceptances from short stories right now and that's amazing fantastic news you should totally celebrate your acceptances but we never celebrate the rejection we 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 talk it brings us down it brings us low we feel useless we feel you know is this even for me anymore you know because i because when you write a story you're on a high you're on a story high you love it and you've invested in it you send it off and somebody comes back and it's a blank you know and you're just it, it barrels you low it makes you think all these things and not everyone has the chance to you know give advice and say this is why we didn't choose it but being in the being in the position where I had to refuse people and then haven't been refused after it um I was just sort of like oh that's fine that's fine I they weren't they were the story's completely fine I know it's fine I'm I'm old enough I've been writing long enough to know my story's hot it's great but it doesn't suit whatever they're going for or whatever they're going, or maybe they have another story with a similar theme and, yeah. you know, and that, and that just works. It doesn't and, fit and the that, album. It doesn't fit the album. It's a B side, but some of the best stuffs are B sides. Some of the best stuffs are sang by someone else. Sinead O'Connor. What's that? What's that song? Sinead O'Connor sings. It's a Prince song. <laughs> yeah. um, you no, know, and I can, I, I, I can relate to that so much because it's actually, it's really funny. So, um, I, I wrote a story um, for Welcome to the Fun House. And <laughs> I, well, I, had to do I, I hope you don't feel bad about this because I'm not saying this to make you feel bad because I don't feel bad about it. But I it, it was such a strange day because I got my rejection email from you guys on the release day of Voodoo Child. And so that to me like that was this all been has this been all the guys to get back at me for doing that (laughs) (laughs) no 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 but it was good for me because it gave me um it just I don't know it gave me some clarity and even though that was a rejection like I saw I had a release coming out I had a novel coming out that day and the other thing too is that you know I I thought about it and I made the decision that in um, you know stories with horror and heart volume two, which I'm going to be releasing yeah. in September, I'm including that story in in that collection because, like Absolutely. you said, like I I love the story and I think it's a good story and it might not have just fit into the album that you guys had going, but I've got this other album and and I think it, it fits. I think it'll yeah. fit nicely in there and i and and i like that post that you made the other day talking about you know your successes and your failures or your rejections yeah. whatever yeah. it might be celebrate because- your rejections because they're i didn't finish that thought and i don't want people thinking that we should not do anything but corrections we should celebrate the rejections that we get because rejections are the opportunity to learn Yes, yes. Well, and sometimes those rejections can turn into something later. For instance, just today, this morning, you know, many of you know that I am, you know, branching out into the audiobook narration game. And so a few weeks ago, I did an audition for this uh, book on ACX. And the author, she messaged me and said, hey, I really like your voice. I really liked your narration, but it's not quite the sound that I was looking for for this story. Yeah, absolutely. This morning, 
I got a message from her on ACX and she said, hey, I want you to audition for this story because I remembered your audition last time and I think your voice would be perfect for this story. That's brilliant. Congratulations. That's fantastic. That's, you know, uh, yeah, that's that's what, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, because like, for example, if if Nick uh, Harper, who is the master and head emperor of Blood Rights Horror, decided to do an, uh, um, an exorcism uh, anthology and I submitted Woman to the White Tree, uh, Woman Under the White Tree, he probably would have rejected that because of the fact thing it's it's really long it's like sixteen thousand words or something like that or twenty thousand words it's a novelette in its own self um so you know but does that mean the story is not good absolutely not the story is brilliant uh and that's the same for you know tons of writers out there yeah uh, tons yeah. of writers that you know i think it almost it would be interesting to for big name writers you know your stephen kings your all you know your carlos saffron's uh, write under a pseudonym to see if they can submit to uh, publishers and, and newsletters and magazines to see if their story gets picked up just to see if they've still got the, the the you know because i think you know that's interesting side of things too uh, and that's what nick's doing fantastically is he's given the opportunity for for people that may not have the opportunity to voice or show their style and show off he's he's you know he's showing off talent that is there that may not be picked in other places because they don't have you know a, you know a history behind them whatever yeah. um yeah but yeah, no, i love working on keep that. writing and when you get the rejection i mean everybody you know I, if you've read on writing you know Stephen king had a mm -hmm. nail on his wall with rejection letters and it got so weighed down with rejections that it fell out of the wall and he had to get a bigger nail i mean that's Stephen king yeah, yeah and that's everyone starts at, at that level everyone yep. starts at what Stephen king started at, and everyone well, maybe not finish where Stephen King is currently at, but there's that's 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 white wheel territory. What, yeah. <laughs> what he means to the thing, but that's you know that's that's completely different. Uh, but yeah, no, I love working on that collection. I, I had a great time. Uh, it was fantastic, and uh, I love picking the stories. And my favorite things was arranging them because it was like an album uh, to me. And uh, there's some great stuff in there by um, Alpine uh the prop and uh the cyclone sisters those stories there's so, there's actually a lot of humor in some of those stories it's very mm -hmm. dark mm -hmm. and uh and um there's annie and abby which i was speaking to the uh to Alpine about that and um and she was saying i can't understand why people find it funny and i and, and i can't understand why people find it heartfelt and touching because it's a really gruesome story and uh, it's like it's really gruesome. it is really gruesome but it's the way you told it it's just mm -hmm. it's just really affecting and kind of lovely and that's the interesting thing i would be interested to see uh, to have someone read it that doesn't read horror if they would be able to experience the kind of heartfelt um nature that's that i find within that story i find yeah. it very touching i'm trying to shout out to all these people because you should be going to read all these people everyone listening should be going and reading everyone that of the, all these selections write them down for <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it does. You mentioned it earlier, but it, it comes natural to you to support other authors and to promote other authors. You know, I've noticed that you know, I've only been on Bookstagram since the very end of January of this year of 2021. Um, so I haven't been around a whole lot, but two people have always stood out to me. I mean, the, the whole community is very supportive, um, but two people always stood out to me as constantly supporting other writers even to the point where i'm thinking like 
man, they should probably support their own stuff, promote it a little bit more. But it was <laughs> you and Michael, Michael Benavides. Like both of you are constantly promoting other people's work and supporting people and being encouraging. And, and that's so refreshing to see because there are yeah. people when it comes to the arts where they see everything as a competition. And if somebody else succeeds, then that's bad for you. Um, and it's nice yeah. to see that not everybody feels that way. No, no, I don't feel that way at all. And that's, uh, thank you. That's, that's lovely to say, because I only really started in November. Um, you know, I, my Instagram account is not, it's a private account, but it's, yeah. it was my account that I had had and I was just showing my life and I just happened to read a lot. And so like, I'm currently doing a chronological reread of Stephen King in, you know, everything he's ever wrote in order. And I think the first one that has a review on my Instagram is like something in the nineties. And I wow. keep waiting for somebody to go, where's the carry one? Why are you doing this chronicle reread? And half the stuff in the early period of his life is not mentioned. It's because I've already read them all. And I, I did, but I was still reviewing them, but I wrote my reviews primarily on Goodreads. Um, so I have, and they're still all in Goodreads as well as they are in IG. But I, the, the reason why I choose to promote is because I love reading. I love to read. I love to read these stories. And I'm, I like the rewriting a review is not so much to promote the, the, the book I've read or the story I've read. It's to make sense of what I loved about it. Mm. And I find that listening to people, one of the greatest things that actually has affected my writing is not reading, well, it is oriented to the subject, but it's the Losers Club podcast. And that's what led me on to doing the free read of Stephen King because they're chronologically going through Stephen King. But it's the in-depth nature of their reviews that I have found improved my writing because I'm sitting there listening to what they're saying and you know these podcasts go maybe close to four hours and I'm, they're going into so much detail yeah. about these books and I love it but it makes me think of my own work in that le level of detail I think that's what has helped me improve as a writer is one listening to other people review stuff and seeing what they like and what they don't like two reviewing stuff myself because then it allows me to break a story down to its fundamentals and that's and so I just and that's why I'm putting them out there because I love doing them and I love I love reading so I love finding out my thoughts about it and then I just use it to help no I would even say it doesn't even cross my mind to help people out it's not what I'm I love doing it absolutely but it's not what I got into it for I just wanted to like spread this around like you know it's the same it's the, what you talked about in the camaraderie section the thing about reading is it's very hard to get camaraderie because, especially if it's a new book, say, for example, um, that book that's out, um, Things Have Gotten Worse a Lot Lately by Eric. Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. I apologize. But again, I'm very bad with last names. But it is a fantastic core novella. It is amazing. And you want to shout that from the rooftops and you want to get everyone else to read it because then you can have a conversation with them about yes. that book. And you can nerd out and nerdgasm about that book. And, and, that's, that's, and, and that goes back. I, one of my favorite books is Stephen King's It. I give it to a friend of mine in school. He stole it, never returned it. It's the first, it was the copy of it that I loved and I hate him for. And, <laughs> uh, he, but I give it to him because I wanted him to read it so I could have someone to talk about it in my life. Because I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, so I'm not really doing anything more with my Instagram account than what I was doing when I handed that uh, that guy that book when I was 13. 
I just want more people to talk about the books that I like or find people that like the books that I like and have a discussion. And that's the amazing thing about uh, Instagram and Bookstagram is that you, you know, you can, you find your community. Um, I haven't very, I've never experienced any negativity in it. I concur. It's like finding your tribe and it feels so good. Um, it does. So it does. Stephen King's name has come up a number of times and um, you recently wrote an article entitled Room 217, Why I Never Left for uh, Horror Oasis. It's on their website. Yes. And yes. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, Go ahead. Yep. Let, me, let me read this quote. I really like this. I'm a horror guy. I don't have a choice in the matter. It's the same way certain people favor savory or sweet, the Beatles or the Stones. They really don't know why they prefer those things. They just do. And, you know, so we're talking about joy. And I think that there's a certain joy with being found when something or someone chooses you. And oftentimes that's how many of us feel with horror. Um, and so when I, when I read those words out of that article, that's, that's how it jumped out to me. Is, is that how you feel? Do you feel almost as if horror chose you and you had no say in, the, in, in it? Absolutely. You're, I feel like, you know, I knew what vampires, werewolves and zombies were before I read a book about them. Mm. Whether that's the culture of what I was growing up in bled in, but I don't really think it is. I just think I knew about them. I knew about the tropes. I knew about the, it just, it's, it's siphoned into me. You know, we, we are inundated with a thousand things every day, but there's only certain things we remember. And the things we remember are the things that perhaps mean something to us. And I remembered those things as a kid. I, I've, I found that information about scary stuff valuable to keep on with me. And then when I was experiencing, you know, when I was playing that zombie game, nobody had explained to me what a zombie was, but I was eight years old and I was playing it, you know? And uh, so I do think these things are predisposed to us. Um, you know, it's, but it's finding it. That's a thing. You don't necessarily find what is for you. Um, your whatever, whatever is makes you happy in life when you're in your teens or you're growing up, you could find it when you're in four, when you're forties, fifties or sixties. But um you you know it's there and if you keep an open mind you'll find it but uh, you were saying it's a recent it actually is not recent um it's recently published absolutely but i wrote that article at the stanley hotel in 2019 wow um, um my wife and i it was our la last holiday we've been on before the pandemic and we were going on holiday with no idea where we were going we had a month in america we were we flew in and landed in LA, stayed in a night in Vegas, and the plan was whatever the plan will be. So we just drove, and we find ourselves going further and further east. We ended up in Albuquerque because we're big fans of Breaking Bad, and we did kind of the wee tour there. And I was saying, you know, Colorado is close, not realizing, you know, it's quite big. And um, we drove up the to through the mountains into Colorado in November, and I had taken a copy of The Shining with me. Um, I felt like I was going to reread it and I got to Boulder. We actually stayed a night in Boulder and I started reading the book in Boulder. And then I was saying to her, come on, you know, I've said to my wife, we have to stay at the Stanley hotel. This will be amazing. This is like this. I, I want, I've wanted to do this since I read the book at 13. So I stayed the night or we went and we stayed, I think we stayed two nights and it was, it was amazing, uh, amazing experience. Uh, but I just find myself, I'm in the place where the, the genesis of this book came from. And this book has, has led me on the path that I've lived the last, mm -hmm. about the time, 20, 29 years of my life. You know, I, I read that book at 13 
I had been writing since I was nine. I've, I find that quite peculiar about my own journey is I've started writing before I was actually a reader. I tried to read and in that article I discussed that. I just couldn't finish a story. I could start a Goosebumps book and get past chapter one and I wouldn't get any further. I was looking for something. I was, I was searching for something that seemed to be fit for me. And I seemed to want to be in reading. And my father had read the Stephen King books when he was my age or my, my age back then when I was in my teens. And he recommended them. I picked The Shining at random because it was the only one I'd heard of because I knew there was a big budget film behind it. And I remember it was a summer holiday and I finished that in a caravan. I finished it in the kitchenette of a caravan. And I remember flipping to the front and seeing the contents page of all his bibliography. And I thought, if he can do it, I can do it. Hmm. And I started, I came up with a horror story and my first horror novel on the back of finishing that book and so while I was there at the hotel I was thinking of all these things all this all this nostalgic things of I'm in the place where this came from but this book has led me to this all these things and been and bear in mind 2019 I was self-publishing um I'd self-published four um short stories slash novel novelettes and they were doing really well so it was like I'm, I'm you know I was making progress in a hobby that I'd done in a room by myself so yeah, it was, a, it was just weird. And I wrote all that in the notes page in my phone and I came home and Andrew, who uh, is amazing, who runs, known as the book dad, who runs for Oasis, was looking for um for me articles and essays. And I said, well, I have this thing about Stephen King. I know no one else talks about him. You might've heard of him. And uh, would you like it? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's something magical about just being in certain places and reading certain things. I know that right now, this is, this will be my fourth year doing this, but I started in I, three years ago, I decided I'm going to read through the whole Thomas Harris, Hannibal Lecter series. You know, there's, there's four books there. And so mm -hmm. I started in November um, because in November, every year, I go to the, the mountains of North Carolina. My aunt has a cabin up there and it's just, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. It's just out in the middle of nowhere, out in nature. And there's just something you know special about it. And I know that in years past, different books that I've been reading or things that I've been listening to, when I rehear those things or reread those things, I remember where I was. Yeah. And um, so now I have this thing going that, you know, I'm going to be reading Hannibal Rising, which is the, the, the last in that four part series um, this this November when I'm going to North Carolina. And it's just there's something magical about connecting certain places with things that we read or, or listen to, but then having that added benefit, like you were saying, of being in the Stanley Hotel um, and, and everything that's connected to that, whether you're talking a, about a movie, whether you're talking about what Stephen King being there and writing. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, that, that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm envious. I live in America. I live in Oklahoma. I'm a state away from Colorado and I've never yeah. even been there. Get on to it. Fix it. Do it. Go see yeah, it. I know. Field trip. Uh, yeah, do a field. It's, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was a great experience. And uh, it was nice to sort of put down in words kind of what I, what, uh, you know, my appreciation for his stuff. Because it, di it didn't make me 
he certainly affected me as a writer, but he's, he made me a reader. That book made me want to read. I read everything by him after that for two years because it took that long. And then I read everything that influenced him because I was that addicted. I went and found Bradbury. I found Richard Rasson. Mm. I found H.P. Lovecraft. And then I started, and then I just, it's like just roots of a tree. I just branched out and um, I just, start, just started finding everything else. Beautiful. So I want to read one more bit from this article, and then we'll move on and talk a little bit about your fiction work. Um, but this line, Goosebumps was about kids, kids that talked and thought like kids while dealing with vampires and mummies and living dolls. It was revelation to me. You mean I could write a story where my friends and I fought the zombies from Night of the Living Dead? And so I just, I love that, Jamie. And, you know, he, once again, here's the nostalgia factor. We keep talking about it. And that mm -hmm. sense of togetherness and belonging that is seen so much within horror, especially within the coming of age subgenre. Um, so I just, I, I love how you captured that. And, and yeah, I think that some, for some of us, these things start a little bit later. I know that, um, you know, the, the next episode, I have um, Michael coming on, Michael Goodwin. Yeah. And, um, he, he's going to be talking about getting a late start in horror. Yes, um, uh, which but, I'm very interested to, to listen to. because Me too, you know, because that is different. a little different. For the most yeah. part, most of us but, have memories early on. That's when yeah. we first found horror. Yeah, it's different. But then I've read, you know, I've read uh, his collection, How Good It Feels to Burn. Mm. and uh, So good. It's it's chef's kiss. Yeah. I kept talking about that story leaves because uh the 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 scene can I spoil it? Should I spoil it? No, 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 it's not even no, out yet. Yeah, oh, it's that. so good. <laughs> it's so good. And I just yeah, yeah. And he, but this, his stuff is 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 really some of his stuff is very short. So it reminds me of like like a boxer just doing a couple of rounds of quick jabs because it's so emotionally invoking. It's such an amazing talent to have. But I, I started off with novels. I never knew about short stories when I started writing. So the moment I started writing, I was just, I'm going to write a novel. Yeah, that's it. No, there's no 30 pages. There's nothing. It was 280 pages. So that's how I started. And I wrote four novels before I wrote my first short story, which is Insular. And that's why I think some of my short stories are um, long. Uh, compared to say someone else's and I'm so envious of Michael's talent um, because he is so he's, it's amazing ability to create such a connection in such limited amount of words and uh, and have such depth to it I find it very awe-inspiring there's a maturity in his writing but that's that you know he's lived yeah you yeah know? I think why that's again we talk about we're finding truth in my stories and truths and in, in, in grains of truth in my life I think it's because I've got stuff to say now no, Insular came about because it was a story which is in my collection, if nobody knows, but it's also on Amazon. But it was the first one I ever wrote that I felt like it was my first original idea because it was about what I was going through at the time. Because if the story of Insular is set in a supermarket uh, and it's about a person who works for home shopping, which if you don't know, these are the people that pick groceries for you that you order online, mm. put them in the vans and deliver them to you. And I did that job for three years. Whereas wow. I'd know everything else I'd wrote before that or had written before that was purely fictional it was sort of you know stuff that I had that I was pretending I had experienced I was pretending you know the adults in my story who were you know I was be 65 four year old or trying to imagine what that was like for a character who was 64 or 74 or you know all this stuff um 
but that story came about not so yeah and i think that's where michael's stuff really comes through uh is he's he's, he's yeah he's got a maturity to his writing uh that's brilliant yeah i know that when um when i was reading through my early review copy of that i was chatting with him some about some of those stories and like yeah it, it was funny how often he'd say you know well it was based on this thing that happened or it was this thing that i saw um so i love that yeah, I, i'm very I, I much the same way write what you know <laughs> yeah okay so veering back into fiction here you have an upcoming release, and it's a short story collection entitled I Hear the Clattering of the Keys and Other Fever Dreams. Now, as we've been talking, it's, it's come out, and you're, you've written a number of short stories and put them out there. They're on you know, Amazon. Go, go check them out. But this is your first published collection. So how, how does it feel to have them published together like that? It's very exciting but it feels like the end of an era mm. um the stories that are four of the stories are in it well no five of the stories are in it sorry i should say dead air is included in that or were written in 2019 and it was the time of year i put i self-published insular with no thought it was going to do anything it had sat in my laptop from 2014 that's when it was written wow. and it had done nothing but i knew it was good and i had given it to people and they said that it was really good and they really liked it but I had done nothing with it. So I just, it was a Sunday. I was, I think I was in the house by myself and I thought, let's try and find out how Amazon self-publishing works. Oh, this is how it works. Bang, it goes up. And then my friend, um, Mark Watson um, from Scotland, he texts me out of the blue and said, have you seen what your story is doing on Amazon? And I looked, and again, I have no clue about Amazon charts, whatever, but it was number nine in the horror short story chart without any promotion, without me doing anything about it. It climbed in the space of six, five days to this. And I was just like, the head, you know, just was exploding. And that led me on a journey in 2019 to focus on writing shorter fiction. I then wrote Trick or Treat, which is the next one. I wrote Alfie and the Girl, uh, Dead Girls next. And then I wrote Dead Air and The Woman Under the White Tree. Dead Air got published in the magazine, uh, Spine Magazine, which is uh, run by Nick Harper, who of Blood Rights Horror. And, uh, and so the, the, the collection is kind of an end of an era for that. And it includes two new stories that are kind of promises to readers of this is where my story level ability is at now. I feel it's progressed because I think these two stories are, you know, I wouldn't say better, but I think they're better told or... Um, uh, yeah, better to But uh, so it's it's nice to have a conclusion to it. And I'm I'm just sorry it took so long to get to this point. Um, but you know, life gets in the way. And yeah. uh, but I'm so thrilled and I'm so thankful for Nick for the opportunity. Um at Blood Rights Hour for it. Um so um can't wait to get it out there and see what people think of them all put together. Yeah. So did we talked a little bit about this earlier with the the uh, welcome to the Funhouse anthology. But for this one, for your collection, your personal collection, did you sort of go into this again with the mindset of this is an album? Like, did you did you think a lot about where certain stories fell within this collection? Absolutely. Mm. Um, the kind of four short stories that are self-published go in order chronologically of when they were published. Um, just because as I wrote them in that way originally or had written them in that way originally um, I felt like that's the way they blended perfectly together 
but they don't begin the collection. The first one is Dead Air, which is actually one of the last ones. It was written in 2019. And, but it's, it's, it's the shortest. It's, uh, and I think it's really catchy. And I think it's, it's an idea. I was trying to toy with the idea. I'd been reading a lot of, I'd been reading The October Country by Ray Bradbury and every single short story in that has a twist. Every single, even like The Emissary, there's a short story in it called The Emissary. And its twist is the last sentence. Wow. And you're sitting there going, your draw is on the floor at that last sentence because you've read this lovely, beautiful, you know, Radbury's pose is like magic. It's like his use of language is like weaving spells. And he does this thing and it's a beautiful short story. And it ends on this absolutely horrifying, devastating, you know, sentence. And you're just sitting there with your draw on the floor. And I was like, I want to try something like that. But I didn't want it to be at the end of the story. I wanted to have something flip in the middle of it. So Dead Air is the beginning one, I think, because it, it that because of that flip, I think it would be a good interest, um, the good um, sort of intriguing one for readers. And then the last story in the collection, I hear the clattering of the keys, which is the new is the new one. It's one of the new ones that I'm uh, as kind of a as I said, a promise to people of this is where I'm at now. This my game has been raised. Uh, which is nice, which is weird because again that was written in 2020. So I feel my game has been raised since then because it's a whole year later. But uh, you'll have to see what's coming out next. Too. Yeah, listeners are probably aware, but in case they're not, in between my interview episodes, I release bonus episodes, and so the bonus episode number three is actually going to be me narrating that short story, um, I Hear the Clattering of the Keys, uh, which closes out that, um, that collection. So I'm, I'm excited about narrating that and sharing that with people so they can get a little bit of a sneak peek. But what, what's the release date for this collection? At the month of November, so far we haven't got an official date in the month. Okay. So it'll be November. Probably, well, I like to think uh, close to the end, you know, after Halloween, we'll probably be close to it. So we can get with a spooky vibe. I just was listening to a podcast today about Glenn Wolf, who has a collection coming out that month, which is which is, and I'm currently reading one of his books. Uh, I'm reading until the summer comes around, uh, and I was thinking, oh, we're going to be a competition, which mm. obviously he'll kick my ass at that. But it's still <laughs> a nice thought to like be beside, you know, it, well, that's the weird thing. It's like I have a collection coming out beside this guy, who I really admire. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, cool. that's, 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 you know, that's a head scratcher. That's yeah. Well, Hey listeners, you're going to get a sneak peek of Jamie's collection over two months before it, it comes out before you can buy it. So you I don't can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear what you do with it. Bonus <laughs> episode number three. Okay. Mm-hmm. So before we walk away from your fiction, I, I've got I've got to say something about the woman under the white tree. I loved the story. I've already gushed about it on my Instagram and a little bit on this podcast earlier when we were chatting. But let me let me read these lines. So here's here's a line where uh, a, a a priest is is talking to the woman, um, and I, I I love this. I love this. So here's the priest talking. You can have peace if you renounce the contract you made ask for his forgiveness, mean it, and you can be at peace. No more living on the fringes of this world. No more death and decay. He would forgive someone like me, she questioned. Is that what you believe? And so for me, uh, this line is a big reason 
on why so many find joy in horror because horror is often about breaking down barriers. It's about being accepted for who you are. It's about experiencing empathy. And as we talked about earlier, you know, that's one of the main reasons why we connect with fictional characters because we can empathize with them. So I appreciate that you did that. And it, it, there were a lot of places in the story. Um, and I hope you take this as a compliment because it's a big one. But uh, there were a lot of places in the story that reminded me of Peter Blatty's writing. Um, it reminded me of The Exorcist, especially with, like you were saying, you've got this old priest and this young priest, and the, the old priest is, is rock solid. He knows what he believes. He knows what he stands for. The young priest is a little jaded. He's a little bit unsure. He's, he's seen some ugly stuff. Um, but them coming together was like the per perfect partnership to get done what they needed to get done. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if, if you were, if you were having those thoughts when you were writing it, but when I was reading it, I kept thinking of the exorcist and it wasn't in a way of like, oh, this is just a ripoff. It was, it was building upon it. And I loved it because that's one of my favorite books of all time. Oh, well, I have a confession to make. In, uh, <laughs> uh -oh. I've, never, I've never read the exorcism or the exorcist. Sorry. I have never read the exorcist. I've never seen the film. I've never seen any of the two sequels. Wow. Um, well, um, I have a copy. Of the, check it out. I, have, I do have a copy of the book, um, but I, every time I go to, I've just there's so many people that are afraid of the book alone. Yeah, that I'm actually apprehensive to read it, even though books don't tend to frighten me. Yeah. But no, so I, I have no previous concept of what I was just going on. Um, I was actually because you know before reading and stuff um, took over my world. Um, I was a big movie fan and I grew up in the 90s and the 90s were heavily influenced by 80s cinema. And back then, you know, we had Extra Vision, which is your version of, or our version of Blockbuster that you had. And we had TV movies that were on, you know, films that had been like Jurassic Park came on when I was eight and, you know, it was amazing. So I was around a lot of buddy cop films, Lethal Weapon, yeah. Die yeah. Hard, that kind of, you know, camaraderie between two people um you know having to team up and stuff like that so i was that has that's you know that's that's the effect i was thinking of you know lethal weapon when i wrote, i was thinking of Riggs and murder when i was writing that you know he was a seasoned veteran and young guy um uh that was kind of the inspiration for that not necessarily um the exorcist uh, and it was also inspired by the Hellboy series. I had been reading that graphic novel of uh, the, the whole series and I just loved the the way it took actual myths and lore and created another fictional story around them. I loved what uh, yes. um, Mike was doing with that. Um, and, and the artwork is so beautiful and, and gothic and amazing that, you know, it really sucks you into the story and I'm still reading them today. In fact, it's inspired one of the current um, working projects I'm on at the moment. Um, but yeah, so the Hellboy series, what I loved about the Hellboy series is Hellboy just walks into a situation and chaos erupts and he seems to be he seems to be just battered about the place and I wanted that grizzled hardened kind of veteran character in the priest Michael Agnew and I never approached it like he was a priest I approached it like he was a soldier um that's what he was to me you know he was a soldier but he fought for light um and and that's kind of what it is yes they're part of the uh, catholic church but the story behind them is they're part of a section of it called the order and I hope to get back to it. I have I, I have a sequel in, uh, planned in my mind. 
uh, for the two characters and I hope to continue it on and to find a little bit more about Michael Agnew and find a little bit more about Frank and find a little bit more information about the order. Um, so um, and I, if you want a spoiler, I can tell you that the next story in it will be called Pit Stop because um, I've had it in my head for ever since I wrote that story and it, that title's never changed. So that's awesome. No, I'm looking forward to that because yeah, the, the lore that you created um, in that story there's so much more that can be done with it. Like there's, yeah. there, there's, there's past material and future material that's got to be highlighted. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, you've got another idea and I will definitely. I've actually got four out. or five story ideas for them. Yeah. So there's a lot there. I mean, you really did. You, you created a little, a little world. Um, yeah. And you fleshed it out enough that it's not all clear, but yeah. it, it's, you've, you've, you baited me at least it's like yeah. okay or, or what, what else you got here <laughs> thanks thank you well i i think i've never done a series before i've never done sequels in anything mm -hmm. i've written so i suppose I, when i was writing that, i was thinking well if i do a sequel here at least short at least i can work out how to how to write a sequelized story yeah the sequelized stories work in books they work in written form they don't necessarily work uh, in film form you know um but so i didn't want to fall in i didn't want to go into the film category i didn't want to write something that would not so i'm taking my time with it in fact there's a very it's a handwritten rough draft of pit stop is written but i will be going back to that and adding some stuff well you've you've given us plenty of teases for what's to come but now we're gonna we're gonna step away a little bit from from the theme and and from your writing and i want to take mm -hmm. you to the carpenter's shed and so i'm going to ask cool. you the same question that i ask every guest that i have on here and that is what is your favorite john carpenter movie john carpenter movie well it's it's got to be the thing the thing it's got to be the thing uh yeah i um but like the like Resident Evil, it was a thing I experienced with another person. I experienced it with again my friend Keith. Uh, he had seen it first. He had bought the DVD and he was like, you know, whatever day I was hanging out, I've seen this amazing thing. I've seen this amazing thing. So you have to watch this. You have to watch it. So I was going into it blind with no knowledge of what this movie was, no knowledge of John Carpenter, even though I knew John Carpenter had directed Christine or had seen that film, but I didn't know that the John Carpenter, you know, was connected to the thing and didn't recognize that there was a connection there. So he got to see me and watch me as he knew the scares were coming. And then, you know, and it was, uh, it was but uh, it was just the special effects, they still hold up. And it's that isolated setting of, you know, the Antarctica. And you're talking about people that we can um, empathize with and connect with. And, you know, I look at those people that are all working together in isolation and it just looks to me like people working in a supermarket when I worked back in the day. It's like that same, they've got the same type of relationships which says something about the supermarket I was working in that can be compared to people staying in the Arctic or the Antarctic. Um, so, but yeah, no, it's the thing. I love it. All right. All right. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was Spencer's answer too when he was on. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, you can't, you can't, you know, I haven't seen all of John Carpenter's stuff, but you just—it's just a top end. It's just—it's um, just amazing. It's just—it's—it's it's a perfect film. It's one of those few. Yeah, yeah, no, it—it it really is, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's one of the few films that's actually a remake. That's good. Yes, yes, and I think that's better the, than yeah. the original. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so 
now allow me to take you by the hand and lead you into the King's Corner. And let me ask you, what is your favorite Stephen King book? Well, since we've been talking about it, it's got to be The Shining for me. I, I tend to have a top three and they fluctuate depending on my mood. But looking back on what it's, how it's caught, like when I read the story, when I finished reading that novel and was at the end, I thought it was so clever that you had this sort of option as a reader to sort of believe it could have been all in their heads. They could have been experiencing cabin fever. Yeah. You know, and, and even though it does heavily point towards the supernatural, the fact that there was, I couldn't, my head was like, there's space in a book for two theories. This is mind blowing. This is, you know, this is crazy. This is, you know, and the fact that, you know, and, and I explain it very well in the article. I can't really articulate as well as that now, but like the fact that Jack Torrance is the bad guy, but he's a good guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe probably coming from the space of a 13-year-old who had never seen uh, bad guys were bad guys, they were pure evil, and good guys were good guys, and they were pure good. But the fact that, you know, Jack Torrance loved his family and that he was being manipulated to be bad was interesting. And it just sort of opened doors in my head to the prospect, the, to the idea that stories could be something more than kind of shoot them up gory horror stories. That That's what I was writing at the time because I was just, I was just writing Resident Evil stories, so I was back then. And so I tried to write something like The Shining and typical, the first novel I wrote had lots of kids in it who had special powers and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so did you did you read the book before you saw Stanley Kubrick's movie yep. or did you see the movie yep. first? I saw, I read, I, read, I read all of Stephen King's books before I saw any of the movies. Wow. Apart from, apart from Christine. I remember seeing Christine, but I think like, as I said, I grew up in 80s films and 80s are heavily influenced by the 50s that, and, and that aesthetic that they have. So I grew up with a lot of fondness for 50s and 80s um, kind of vibes and stuff like that, which is why I'm still obsessed with Stranger Things and Back to the Future and all those sort of things. Um, yeah, so I, had, I, I went in books first. Um, so I, I suppose I wasn't like, I, I, I got it from the source. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate the shine, and I think it's a good film. Yeah, I do think it's a good film, and it's fantastically shot yeah. film. Um, but the book is just beyond. It's just it's it's beyond brilliant. Okay. I've never been underwhelmed by it. I've read it six times. I've oh still, wow! I've found something in it each time. So this doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad book but i also want to ask you what is your least favorite stephen king book uh we discussed this before i wanted i'm going to say something controversial because and i'm happy that it's controversial or at least i think it's controversial um end of watch might be my least favorite book which is a very new book uh and i'm not against it because it's new because i think there's a lot of great stuff that king's doing currently when it was announced that King's doing the Mercedes trilogy, that he was going into crime, I feel it was wrongly marketed. And I've noticed a lot lately that a lot of his modern stuff is marketed poorly. Like Joyland was marketed as Stephen King does carnivals and scary, spooky carnivals. And if you read that book, it's it, yes, that's in it, but it's it's one percent of what that book is about. That book is a lot more tender. It's a lot more about the emotions of its characters. Uh, than Stephen King does Carnival Horror. So when I read that book, I initially didn't like it. Now it's my top four um, of all of his books. But End of Watch, 
So we, you go into the Mercedes trilogy with this idea that it's marketed as a crime thriller trilogy. Stephen King does crime, no supernatural, no horror. And then it gets to end of watch and it's got superpowers in it. And which, you know, that's all right. So I'm getting superpowers in his books or I'm getting into the horror powers that he normally invests with some of his characters. I can be believe that. But I find that book to be a bit formula for me. It just seemed to follow a formula. Mm-hmm. And um, I, str- I really struggled to read it. Wow. So, well, I, I can't. That- I can't comment on what I think about that being controversial because I haven't yet read the the Bill Hodges trilogy. I have read The Outsider and I've read um, the short story that is in If It Bleeds uh, with yeah, Robin Gibney, stuff, huh? um, but I haven't read that trilogy yet. I plan on it. You know, I've got them on my bookshelf, but that's just, you know, a, a few of them. I really like The out. Outsider. I really like Finders Keepers in that collection. I just don't, yeah. Yeah. Did touch me. It didn't do it for me. Yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, we all we all got our opinions, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna get such hate, aren't I, for that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Send send your heat to Ireland, y'all, if you're angry. <laughs> um, so, okay, I have I have another question that I want to ask in closing about a, a few book recommendations that I like to ask. But before I get that, you said something earlier, and I wrote it down. I made a note of it because you made my eyebrows raise. You mentioned a 400 plus page novel that you've written about a carnival. Are there any plans to publish that? That is currently out for um, submission. Uh, I wrote that. It's called Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror. It's 100,000 words. Uh, I tried to write it in 2018, but due to the fact of the stress of my job and stuff, I wrote a very bad version of that book. And then when pandemic happened, I found it was off. So I wrote, basically rewrote the entire thing from scratch in two months. Wow. And it, I loved it. And it was everything that I wanted that book to look like. And it's a, it's a, it's a novel that's a love letter to the books that you find in the 80s. We talked about earlier about how the, the current sort of indie climate and the current sort of horror climate of books is very sh- shorter fiction novellas and things like that and short novels, because that's the um, that's what, you know, I, I think that's to do with the attention span of the fact that we have phones and all these things clamoring for our attention. So we have these books that are coming out that are really fast paced, but there's something magical and seductive and lovely about Salem's Lot uh, or, you know, or, you know, um, Boy's Life or it's about being spending time with the characters. And that book is a love letter. And I'm not saying it's slow and I'm not saying it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's indulgent. It's actually not because it's a, it's a very big story that I tried to tell. But it has that small town, massive cast of characters. They've all got subplots. They've all got arcs. They've all got emotional backgrounds and things that you have to, you know, you get invested in them. And it twists and it turns. And uh, I love it. I, I get to... Uh, um, I'm quite happy to tell you the synopsis because I've made it actually public already on my Instagram. So I have, um, it's, uh, set in 1983 in Kansas. It follows the, uh, journey of Joe Cage. who's a runaway who gets employment at a traveling carnival in a farming town. And on the first day on his job at this carnival, a young girl who's part of the community goes missing inside a roller coaster. And she go, he goes inside to save her to bring her out and comes out without her 
and he is made subject, he is suspect number one for the local law enforcement um, about her disappearance. And suddenly he has to stay in the town and figure out who uh, has abducted this child. Wow. All right. Well, something to look forward to. I I, I hope that gets published soon. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. I think it, I, it's really fun. Like I know I've wrote it, but I really like it. I really enjoy it. I like the characters in it. There's a fantastic supporting character in it called Daisy Hill who's amazing and I just love the world and uh yeah and it's just my love letter to the books I read that I love that and they're not coming out anymore they don't, we don't indulge in these big uh in these you know vast sprawling stories it's more you have this character and he goes from A to B yeah yeah we get there as fast as we can because we have to because heaven forbid there's a bit where we sort of have a, a, a you know a, a reflective period for the character for you doing the character a bit more and I love fiction that does that I love fiction that gives you time to get to know someone and it's very hard to do and make that interesting that type of writing but king does it best he can make characters who are like cooking dinner or cutting grass sound very interesting yeah yeah and i hope i try and i hope to try and achieve that too all right well let me ask you this in closing what are three horror books that have specifically brought you joy that you'd recommend to someone wanting to experience some of what we've discussed here today? I've got one. For young readers, I think, I'm going to diversify this, and I think for young readers, a really good book is Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. As I've said, Bradbury's words, his use of language is like weaving spells. It's unlike anything I've ever encountered in fiction, and a lot of people have because obviously there's a big rapport for him. But I think it means more and affects you more when you're that young. Like I remember reading that when I was 15 and I think of it, the, the language is something so dense and nutritious. It was like soup. You were drinking that book in and it, but it, it was scary, but it made scary fun in the way that, you know, kids doing a dare, like riding their bicycles downhill or riding their skateboards down a really uneasy hill find fun in that terror they experienced that was it he really does capture childhood very well um so that's my first one i'd like to do i like to say a bit more of indie stuff because that's where i come from and i think that's what should be promoted because you know we know the greats um so and i was actually asked this question the other day and uh, it's all stuff i've read this year take your turn teddy by mm. hating human and I know you had her on last, and I know that might come across as being a bit uh, insidious because she was on your last thing, but that book is great. And it's there's a bit 25% into that book where it flips everything on its head. Yeah. And it's just like, and you just sit like, like your jaw, yeah, your jaw's on the floor. You're just like, oh, she did that. Why have I not thought to do that? That is so good. Yeah. And yeah, oh, that, that's it changes. That. It changes from this like coming of age story and it flips and it's like Stephen King is writing at the beginning and then it turns into Thomas Harris um, yes. with that sort of like procedural cop drama. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's something. Really I, find, I find I find procedurals really boring. I find I find most cop thriller books because there's so many of them and it's so procedural. A procedural cop thriller book follows a procedural formula. Yeah. <laughs> that was not this was this was nothing like take your turn teddy nothing like that it's so good yeah uh, so it was yeah, she, it was 
a, a joy to be able to narrate it as well like oh yes I, I forgot sorry i forgot about that so yeah you're oh that's great but i was saying i was actually speaking to her the other day and i was saying i caught bits of carry references in it did you catch them at the end mm-hmm. yes yeah, there's so, so much man there's there's <laughs> carry references there's halloween uh there's you know the outsider uh, there's a lot of Thomas Harris stuff, uh, you know, and uh, a lot of final girl stuff going on in there. And yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's such a mishmash. And then, you know, her talking about baseball and her talking about music, you know, a lot of stuff about the Beatles. Yes. I mean, yes, the, just, the, the vinyl she, stuff. I really appreciated the, you know, the, the vinyl kind of, um, so there, there is another one. Uh, I'm just looking at my phone because I made a list. I have a list. I keep a list of top ten, uh, top potentials of books that I've read this year. No books that stand out. Not that yeah. I need to keep them, but um, uh, My Zombie Sweetheart by Christopher Robertson. I've already talked about him before. He's a story in Welcome to the Fun House, but he has a novel out. It's uh, on Amazon. But it's also on Kindle Unlimited. And um, if you love Back to the Future's kind of aesthetic, if you love that kind of 50s vibe, it's like the, all the old, it, it, it really captures that 50s horror vibe um, in the setting. But it's, I love zombies. I, I got into horror through zombies. I, yeah. And that effect is currently, I'm writing a zombie story as I speak for the first time. Um, well, first time in a long time. And it's just, it's so good. And it's, it's so well done. And it's, you know, the way it's written, it reminds me of a Quentin Tarantino film because it's written like a screen not it's not written like a screenplay in the way you would see how a screenplay the for, formula of a screenplay is but there's certain sections like the narrator talks to you the way you know end credits and stuff like that are mentioned and things like that and the way that the, the it it focuses the perspective of the story i really advise uh reading it it's it's a fantastic and he has actually another collection that i have read uh coming out in october and uh it's it's great as well uh the october society it's called but that, uh, as I, I actually did a forward for that book for him and uh, i mentioned in it that to read his books or to read his stories to read christopher Robb and stuff is to want to read everything he's ever written mm. it's it, it fills you with that like kind of love of a thing yeah you you mentioned that to me uh a week or two ago and it's still it, it's my latest edition on on my goodreads want to read list so i've i've got it i've got it up there um it's only got five ratings right now on goodreads but it yeah. also has five yeah. stars yeah i he he does he, he says you know he would love to get more you know um out there and stuff and uh, he, he perhaps is not the best at marketing himself i'm i'm, I'm just paraphrasing i don't mean to put the guy down he's he's a fantastic author and he uh, in, uh, and he deserves to be read uh so he does his stuff deserves to be read yeah so yeah well maybe we can bring him on the the podcast and, and get him a little more spotlight all right well so uh y'all heard it right there the recommendations if you if you want to experience some of the things that bring jamie stewart joy from the horror genre check out something wicked this way comes um by ray bradbury Take Your Turn, Teddy by Haley Newland, and My Zombie Sweetheart by Christopher Robertson. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say before we sign off? Thank you very much for having me. This was so much fun. All right. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't dreading it. I was anxious about it because we have spoken through message, not face-to-face, -face, and it's, it's lovely to hear your voice. It's lovely to engage with a human being about books. 
Um, so thank you for having me. It's great. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And um, if I if I'm going to repeat the theme one more time, but Jamie Stewart, it's been a joy. Thank you. Take care. We hope this episode haunts your nightmares. It's been an honor to scare you. Be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram for news on upcoming offerings. Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on. <laughs>